Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, Ray Hudson joins me for a fun conversation on how he developed his love for words, his unique broadcasting style, his appreciation for Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, his favorite stories from the 1970s NASL, and his love of South American soccer players. He also explains why he loves listening to Spanish-language soccer broadcasts, even though he doesn't know the language. When I listen to them and their passion and their wonderful descriptives at a speed and in a color, even though I don't understand the words, somehow I get it and I connect with that more and it makes me enjoy the game more somehow. All that and more coming up. Joining us today is one of the most distinctive voices in soccer broadcasting. Ray Hudson can be heard every week calling games on BN Sports, and you can also hear him on SiriusXM Satellite Radio. Ray played for Newcastle United and the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, among many other teams, and he coached the Miami Fusion and DC United before going into broadcasting and becoming, in my opinion, a national treasure. Ray, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks very much, Grant, for your kind words. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild uh, trip, you know, ever since I came to the United States in 1977, uh, landing in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, on spring break. Uh, from then on, it's been uh, <laughs> Space Mountain on steroids. <laughs> Ray, there's a Twitter account called Live Ray Hudson that preserves some of your wordsmith work every week for history in real time. Uh, a look at recent games includes these phrases, like smoke through a keyhole, centipedes fantasize about having one left leg like Messi, and <laughs> Marcelo could pick the dandruff off a wasp's wing with the accuracy of his crosses. We could go on for a long time with a lot more uh, phrases like this, but I'm curious, where did you get your love for words? Uh, it all st really, my father was the biggest influence when I was a kid, uh, Grant. Um, you know, he was a, he was a wonderful uh, reader to me uh, in the evenings, and I always loved the way he used to project and uh, embellish the words of Dickens predominantly. He loved Dickens, Charles Dickens. And, uh, of course, he was such a descriptive writer. And then when you, you, you're sitting on the sofa with your dad and he's putting the the actual phrases together with a, a little bit of a theatrical lilt, which wasn't his way at, at all. He was a very quiet, very insular person. Um, and I am too, believe it or not. I huh. truly am. Um, very shy. And I always have been taking that from my father, uh, who was a very much of a lone, a lone, uh, a lone predator in his times. Um, and he was always very, very... Uh, descriptive with the words and it was that engagement with him that that I think stimulated that uh, and I, after in my school career uh, my school time I had I had a wonderful wonderful English teacher who took that to another level again uh, but those two I would think were the biggest influences for me my father uh, reading me Dickens in, in a wonderful old lady called Sally Herdman. Say old lady, she was probably 10 years younger than I am now. <laughs> but uh, she looked it and uh, she was a wonderful 
uh, English aristocrat type, uh, wonderful English teacher, and she would tell me, Raymond, you have a gift. You need to start expanding this gift and use the English language like plasticine. You can do what you like with it, Raymond. You can you can extend these words. There's no other language like it in the world. And she would tell the class how the German type of language and the French are so beautiful as well and the Spanish language, but they can't extend their vocabulary uh, on nuanced words, and I found that fascinating. Now, at the time, Grant, I wasn't thinking of this as a career or anything. She was just a great teacher, and she was a great fun. And and that connection, that engagement um, with my father and with Sally, Sally Herdman, um, that, that certainly sparked something that stayed with me throughout the rest of my career as a player as well, mm -hmm. because I'd be the one that I would get pushed out in front of the cameras uh, when I was at Newcastle, even as a young boy. Um, and it, it certainly with the strikers, with Fort Lauderdale uh, in Tampa, uh, and, and, and it, that part of it was just like a duck to water, and I was very comfortable in that environment. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I, how would you describe your broadcasting style to someone <laughs> if they're on planet Neptune who hasn't heard it before? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. It, certainly bombastic, probably over the top, uh, it, it, passionate to uh, a f beyond a fault. And I understand that it's not everybody's liking. You know, I'm a good friend with Martin Taylor Martin's got is diametrically opposite to me uh, in, in his conveyance of, of the game um, a lot of the time. But, I, I, you know, the thing is, Grant, I've never been to broadcast school. I didn't go to uh, any uh, any sort of uh, preparation um, situations to, to, to land me where I am. Whatever's in me is going to come out. And that's just the way it is, good or bad. And it's nothing that I, it's not a shtick. It never has been. And it's not something that I can control. It's something that's always been within me. Uh, and I've been so damn lucky to, to have these wonderful players and at a time where um, not just on the television side of it, but the social media side has seemingly, you know, uh, stoked this fire. Um, and and, and I, I make better connections with a lot more people than I do um, I, I disassociate with, with that don't associate with my style. Uh, and I'm, I'm pleased with that. I wish everybody did love me, but I can truly understand why, you know, they don't. Because uh, I, 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 a good comparison, Grant, is when I'm listening to a lot of football, um, I turn the Spanish stations on to listen to the Spanish language, and I enjoy hearing, and I can't understand a word they say. I've lived in Florida for 40 years now, and uh, I, I, can, I, I can see all my Spanish comes from Santana, you know, the, the lines from Santana, but nothing else. But when I listen to them and their passion and their wonderful descriptives, at a, at a speed and at a, in a colour, even though I don't understand the words, somehow I get it and, and I connect with that uh, more. And it, it makes me enjoy the game more somehow. Um, it, it, it's strange. 
it is fascinating to me because I, I've talked to people about the differences between broadcasting soccer games in English and broadcasting in Spanish. And even people who speak both languages and even work professionally in English and Spanish say they have to change up their delivery when they move from English to Spanish. Hercules Gomez told me this recently uh, because the cultures are different. But I've always sort of thought it should be possible in the English language to have enthusiasm and emotion describing broadcasting a soccer game. Richard Sandemir wrote an article in the New York Times in 2013 about you that I thought was terrific. I think everyone who's listening to this should read it. Uh, and a quote from that article what reads like this. His sentences, if diagrammed, would resemble etymological helixes with thoughts on soccer twisted with strands of pop culture, literature, math, and science, end quote. How do you come up with some of your stuff, some of the stuff, your the phrases you say on a broadcast? Um, uh, uh, most of it is um, constructed from... Um, situations that are completely alien to the football game but have some somehow stuck with me um and i, I make lists I, I write them down i try to memorize them um and they can be the most obtuse references to something that is completely alien to our game mm-hmm. um you can see it uh it, it, you know watching the birds you know, when I go out in the morning to feed the birds, I'll, something will happen. Um, uh, you know how they're hesitant and how they wait and how they, you know, certainly the, the you know, the, the the way they look. Um, uh, there'll be other more obvious, and it'll stimulate something, and I'll I'll, I'll think about it, and I can come up with things um, in descriptives. Um, in other situations, a lot of it comes from uh, stealing. Like a, like a thieving magpie that I am, because that's my team. Uh, but uh, I'll take something from Star Wars. You know, I'll take something from um, a, a TV series and, 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 and bend it and adjust it. Um, and there'll be other, other you know, completely uh, different uh, setups um, mm. uh, that involve things like the color spectrum. But I mean, it's just it, it's it's just a mad chaotic uh, situation. And again, it comes back to what Ms. Herdman, Mrs. Herdman, t- told me that you know you can you can take something as 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 much as a as a pen, and you can you can find something within them to connect to something ingenious, and that's the not and it doesn't have to be. Uh, football genius that you're describing it can be something you know rudimentary it can be the referees uh you know descriptions i was watching um you know uh, uh king of the hill the mm-hmm. other the other week and you know one of my favorite characters and that is boomhauer mm-hmm. and 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 I, and I just thought you know that when i watch these players talking to referees that's what they sound like to the referee. You know, the players are talking like Boomhauer because it's not going to make any difference. The ref's not going to get what they're saying. So, I mean, just stupid, silly little analogies that, you know, I'm so pleased and proud that so many people actually engage in them uh, and, 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 and find some humour and some relevance. And, and then there's another part of it, Grant, where 
you are trying to describe something indescribable, something really exceptional, um, like with, with Messi, for example, or with Cristiano or Ibrahimovic. And you're looking at situations there that are so that are so special and that are so incredibly um, astonishing in the in the footballing mode. Where do you go to there? Where do you go to? How can you describe that as brilliant? How can you just rest on that? How can you just say it was a staggering piece of skill? And this is where Miss Herdman comes back again. You take that and you explode it. You explode it. You give it the framework it deserves. You know, when we see Messi performing like he does and he does things that are just so astonishingly uh, ingenious, how do you find the framework to to come around that? I go to... A strange well of metaphors and uh, over-the-top descriptions, like centipedes. <laughs> How centipedes go to sleep at night, thinking, "I want a left leg like Messi." I mean, that is—it's insane. It's stupid. But if you're a ten-year-old kid and you're watching a Barcelona game, or if you're a seventy-year-old lady with blue hair watching Barcelona or Real Madrid, and you're coming out with you, that is a hook. And it makes people smile and and people get it. Um, And I get inundated with these sorts of responses from wonderful people that do, you know, connect with it and find it different and find it special um, in the way that some of these players are. Well, you have had the pleasure for many years now of calling games involving the two greatest players of this era, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. What is it in your mind that is so special about these two players? Um, the, the, the apples and oranges, first of all. You know, it's uh, Iago and Othello. You know, the two of them are total antagonists of one another uh, in the sporting environment. And, and I love that about them. You know, you couldn't get them probably more diametrically opposed in, 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 in many, many circumstances. But um, it's it's their overall uh, impact on the footballing world in their own way. Very unique. You know, Cristiano, the penalty box predator that he's been, you know, the anticipatory predator skill that he has is different to Leo's. Um, you know, but they, but they they are they are so special. I, I've used the description. We're so we're so blessed to have two suns in the sky at the same time because that's what it is. There's always in football probably just been one predominant player uh, that that is head and shoulders above the other. Um, but these two, it, for a long long time, were very 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 close to each other. But in Totally, brilliantly, beautiful, different ways. Um, you know, with Messi, it's his, you know, the ball control, his composure, his dribbling skills, uh, you know, his speed, the amazing awareness that he's got and that strength that he has on the ball. Uh, and, and with Cristiano, it's a lot more alacrity. It's a lot more speed. It's a lot more... Uh, I wouldn't say power, but, you know, that anticipatory skill to read off other players. 
the different players entirely in my book, and that's why I never like to get into any argument about which one's the best, which one's the greatest. Um, for my personal liking, as a, as a complete neutral, if I was taken away from the game, it would be Messi because of the type of complete player that 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 I find him to be uh, within his passing range and within his uh, finishing and um, with his dribbling. But that's not to take anything away from Cristiano. I'm, be, I've been blessed to be able to try to describe uh, and and, and put a harness around that sort of ghost, if you like, of, of, of a player that is truly indescribable and the joy and the incredible impact that they have on players' lives and how much euphoria they instill in you in that magic moment. And that's the thing, Grant. That's when it comes out. You know, I'm a bigger football fan than anybody that I know. I'm the biggest nutcase. I'm not an anorak. I don't know all of the ins and outs of all of the nuances of the of the game. Uh, uh, whether as a, as a fan, the average fan knows more about you know the the involvements of their club football than I do. But where 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 my thing comes out of is that in that in that moment in that dramatic build up to the crescendo the, this crescendo that builds up and i can identify with that and what it takes amongst the other players that are brilliant in their own right mm -hmm. leading to that climactic explosion uh, of 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 more often than not a goal mm -hmm. but even if it fails I'm almost, you know, my pulse rate goes off the charts because of the beauty that, that we've just seen before this incredible, you know, performing ballet that these players are performing. And um, it's it, it's just wonderful. When you get two players like that that take it to another level, it's uh, it's very, very difficult to, to not just hold my composure because I let that go, but in that quintessential moment, to find phrases and sentences and descriptions and keep it in check and yet let it go at the same time is um, it, well, it, it, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a, it's it's a hell of a challenge, and yet it's not even a challenge. It's just me. It's just it just comes out. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I I love the fact that not just your words come out in a broadcast and they're very unique, but when the ball gets into the box sometimes we hear other noises coming from you sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the old player coming out of me and I've watched too much football in my life anyway and been involved with it every day of my life. So you start to recognize patterns and you start to recognize uh, danger uh, in the most uh, strange circumstances. Mario Kempes is another player that I love listening to uh, describe games. And Mario often can get that, I always get that reaction from Kempes where uh, it, it, uh, it's wonderful lying on my Barcelona in my Barcelona watching the game and being there with the likes of Kempes that he's saying the words for me. Yeah, uh, and and I find that connective really nice. You know, that's a, a wonderful way of relaxing. Let somebody else do the work. <laughs> so, so typically when you're calling a game, you are not in the stadium. You are calling off a monitor in South Florida. How hard is that? 
It's um, it, it's different entirely, you know. Um, I, again, I've talked to Martin Taylor about this uh, uh, quite a bit, and the adjustments that are made are, are, are very significant and substantial. Um, that 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 the, the average fans and the listeners, the viewers, that can't can't understand and understand and, and, and rightfully so. But the technical involvement of, of um, uh, producers talking in your ear and uh, information being passed through to you, uh, listening to your partner talking as well, um, in in, a, in an environment like the Camp Nou or, or, or the Santiago Bernabeu, when you're doing games like that and you, you people are all around you as well and you're not as secluded as you are in the booth, um, there's a different feeling. It's just a natural feeling that is difficult to get accustomed to um, and, 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 and be able to carry off your same routine. Um, the technical things can go wrong, as you, you will know well. It, 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 that connection gets disrupted it can alter your delivery very much. That's how, you know, Phil Shane does such an immaculate job. I've lost it sometimes. I've been ready to walk out of the out of the boots uh, sometimes. And, and Phil will work at it and he'll put the pieces back together because he's a complete and utter professional. He's been in the profession all of his life and he knows how to handle it. I couldn't do that. I, I'm not. I'm not capable of keeping that composure in those situations. Um, he said you do, but you just don't know it. I mean, Phil's taught me more about me and how I react than I know about myself when I look in the mirror. Um, and, and I love him to death. And it's been a great relationship and a partnership um, that uh, we, we've been able to, to last so long together as well. And uh, still able to pull off the big games with a, with 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 our own, you know, nice style. I think. Yeah. Looking back at, at where you're from, you're from the north of England. Uh, how did you develop such an affinity for South American players? Oh, I mean, it again goes back to my father uh, of indoctrinating me with the great players from uh, South America. Um, and back in those days, in the 60s, you didn't see very much of these players at all. You saw very grainy black and white types of uh, footage uh, of, of Pelé and Santos and uh, Peñarol and, and, and great uh, Argentina teams like Boca Juniors. He couldn't even believe that. But at that time, there was so little. And you'd live through it through your magazines that you'd, you'd get and you'd see some of these players and they just look different and everything. And World Cup came to, to England in 1966. That's where the real starburst happened for me mm -hmm. when I was able to watch uh, the great Argentina team who I, I still believe got robbed in that uh, uh, semi-final against uh, England when uh, Ratin got sent off. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's a whole different story. <laughs> Um, but it, it was something in the in the in the way they touched the ball. Uh, the Brazilians, the, when when I saw Garincha, you know, I mean, one of the one of the best memories of my childhood was when uh, Brazil were playing at Everton uh, at, at, at uh, Goodison Park, I believe it was, and um, there was a free kick like about twenty five yards out, and the the the, the commentator said he's uh, lining up. 
uh, for a shot or something ridiculous or something like that, you know. And I says, Dad, he's not going to shoot from that distance, is he? Says Raymond, my father said, Raymond, he says to the Brazilians, these free kicks from that distance are like penalty kicks. And sure enough, Garincha put it in the top corner from that distance. But it was it was Pele, really, Grant. It was Pele, you know. We had never seen my best friend um, it, back home in England, Mickey Wilson, is a black lad. And um, we were inseparable. And we would dress up in, in yellow shirts. I'd wear my me, me sister's blouse to, to try to be Pele. And <laughs> Mickey looked like Pele. And he was, uh, we, we, we just idolised him. And that Brazil team, in, in 1966 and more so in 1970, um, the touch of their players, the, the, the way they caressed the ball, the, the, there was a poetry about the way they ran with the ball, the way they dribbled. And England had still, we had been brought up with some great English players as well, but there were nothing like the, the South American players, with few exceptions. Um, you know, I remember watching Charlie Cook from Chelsea and Charlie was that type of player. Then Bestie came along, of course. But the South Americans as an entity had a vision of, of the game and that touch, that, I always keep coming back to that touch. It was something so special that that's the way I wanted to be as a player. And I always got accused of being too much like a South American player uh, from my coaches there. And it was the biggest compliment I ever had. (laughs) At age 21, you came on loan from Newcastle United to the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Could you describe what it was like coming to South Florida for you at that age? Well, again, you know, I'm a young, long blonde haired, good looking lad. Uh, (laughs) Uh, wonderful, uh, uh, you know, I was a footballer and uh, red-blooded, you know, young lad, 21-year-old, and I arrived at Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in the height of spring break. Um, and that part of it was like, what the hell is this? Where have I come to here? And um, it was the most beautiful part of paradise that I'd ever been to, the, the wonderful intercoastal area and the waterways. And the the, every, the the city was just something, the Garden of Eden, absolute Garden of Eden. And the, the football at that time with Pelé and Beckenbauer would come the next year was something special. And for us, under Ron Newman, to actually win that that division with Rodney Marsh's uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies, who mm-hmm. were star-studded with the Wegelies and, you know, Rodney and great, great players, um, and the Washington diplomats who had were a very good side. We were the red-headed stepchild. We were a bunch of players like me, decent footballers, but workmen more than anything. Um, and, and, you know, the journeymen. Um, I only went for the experience of playing regular football because I could only get in and out of Newcastle United's team at the time as a kid. But... Um, after having four managers in four years at Newcastle, I was ready for the change. And after we won the the the, the conference that year, um, in in such a wonderful way under Ron Newman, and turned this whole town onto the game in an amazing way, because there was no there was only the Dolphins who we were owned by by Mr. Joe Robbie and his wife Elizabeth, and. Um, the that part of it was was just um, 
an astonishing Cinderella story. I mean, it was truly that. I kind of come up with a better descriptor because we weren't supposed to go to the ball. We weren't supposed to have the, the good looks. But this combination of pirates that Ron Newman brought together and made a hell of a galleon ship out of, we beat everybody. And uh, it, we, 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 we had the, by far the best record in the league that year. And uh, it was amazing. Um, but I really only came here, Grant, to get regular first-team experience on a consistent basis mm -hmm. because I wasn't getting that at Newcastle. Okay. So they sent me. And, I, and after that first year, that was it. I wasn't going back to Gateshead or Newcastle. <laughs> Do you have any favorite stories about playing in the 1970s NASL? Um. Really, there, there isn't one in particular, Grant, but there were so many star-studded memories of going all around, going to Vancouver, going to Chicago, going to New York, going to Los Angeles, going to Hawaii. The One great memory was this road trip that we went on, a three-game road trip to Los Angeles, to Las Vegas, who had Eusebio playing for them at the time, and and to and to Hawaii, to Team Hawaii, and we won the three games. We won the three consecutive games. The best, greatest road trip that I had ever been on in my life, um, with some wonderful lads, and we had the time of our life. And we did never want ended. We didn't, never wanted it to end. It was uh, the football that we were playing. Was 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 really tremendous, and it was uh, gung ho attacking football, and um, and that was just the start of everything. Uh, because after that, of course, the big players really started to arrive in this country. The likes of Kubilas and Gerd Muller and uh, uh, Bogicevic and uh, Niskins and. Rudy Kroll and on and on and on. Every team in the NESL had four or five, you know, truly world-class players. Johan Cruyff, you know, my God. I mean, he still went back to play in Spain after he left uh, his playing days in, in the North American Soccer League. It was a league, Grant, that there had never been anything like it ever before and there'll never be another one like it again. It was a very special time, and it, it was really the, the the start of this great uh, situation that we have in this United States now. Because the game has advanced out of all proportion, the league MLS is so much more wonderful than the NESL was uh, in, in in so many ways. But that was, I think, the I know there was teams before. But that was the genesis of what we're seeing now in this country. And uh, to be a part of it at the outset was very special. And then to go into, you know, uh, television and then the coaching side of it, of course. Um, but there's nothing replaces your memories as a player. Uh, they, they were the best of days. Well, one of my favorite MLS teams in history was your 2001 Miami Fusion team. And I know you coached also at DC United. Uh, yeah. And then you went into broadcasting. And yeah. what is the story of how you actually got involved in broadcasting? Well, I, again, it's more like, you know, a, a duck taking the water. The people who were in charge uh, above me and beyond me uh, saw something that that, could trans that personality could translate good onto TV or into television or uh, on and on. Um, and there wasn't anything I was pursuing to it. It was, you know, 
why don't you try this and just give it a shot and you know give it a go and 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 immediately it, it started to attract people. I remember Kevin Payne, the great Kevin Payne. I love Kevin, and uh, it, my general manager at DC United. Um, Kevin heard me uh, broadcasting a game against um, it was the, the Miami Fusion before I was uh, able to take control of the team as a coach. Mm -hmm. But um, Kevin heard me giving a, a commentary. Uh, it, it, Right here at Lockhart Stadium against DC United. Mm -hmm. And um, Marco Echeverry and Jaime Moreno combined on, on, on a goal that was, I just went crazy about it, you know, a goal baked in the oven in heaven. And look at these ingredients. The spaces are right. The touch is right. Every day I went crazy about this, this fabulous goal that the two of them combined with like three one-twos on the run together. And just buzz saw through the team, and I went ballistics. Uh, and and Kevin was kind enough to call me up and say, "You did us justice, and you did the game justice, and you elevated the game." And that meant so much more to me. That uh, he said, "You know, for once, we, our players are getting the credit they deserve uh, for, and, and, you know, the projection of you." And I really loved what you did and that meant the world to me and that was an in I mean, I'm just using that example Grant as an indication of how uh, fortunate I was mm -hmm. to somebody heard it at the right time Kevin went to MLS and, and said nice things and um, and I was able to be, be maintained and I, I had some great games at um, uh, the San Jose earthquakes and Lexi Lalas was the same Lexi got me into that Lexi uh -huh. got me the job and said we we got to have you, Ray. You know, you, you describe the beauty of the game better than anybody and would love to have you as a part of this team. And I had a great time with John Schneider, who was the play-by-play -play mm -hmm. guy at, at, uh, at, at, at San Jose. And, um, and, and, and it just, you know, that, that's just been the progression. And I've enjoyed it more and more each season, Grant, you know. Um, the times that we're living in here now are, are very, very special. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been a lot, a lot of fun, man. We're winding down here. I appreciate you taking this much time, Ray. You, you've talked about your father, Wilfred, quite a bit uh, and his influence on you with words and, and the sport and appreciating sure. the sport. Uh, you lost your father last year, last May at the age of 98. Uh, yeah. He was a tool maker, and, and when you were a kid, he would get off the night shift, I read, and sneak in with you to a locked local park and kick the ball around sure. with you. Uh, sure. When he passed last May, you posted a, a photo on Twitter of his last wave to you. And when I saw uh -huh. that, I, I really got emotional uh, seeing yeah. that. And I know other people who did too. Uh, what was the response that you got to that tweet? It was uh, wonderful, you know, very, very hard rendering how hard, hard, hard touching um and um you know my father was such an influence in the biggest part of my life um not just on football but um, make me the type of person i am with my mom um and uh, that part of it was really really special um another wonderful picture that i put on uh twitter of my dad was he had a terrible fall and his arm was all terribly coloured, nasty. I think he broke the part of the arm, and he was only—he was still 96 then. 
I used to call all the, the people in the nursing home that he lived in, the old people, even 98. <laughs> um, but he, he, uh, he's a big Real Madrid supporter, my father, huh. and uh, got me my favorite. So I uh, went to Hamden Park to watch the great Real Madrid team against Eintracht Frankfurt and came in. He says, Raymond, he says, these players, they look like they've come from Mars. Uh, he'd never seen anything like it. Um, he's a big Real Madrid fan. Uh, Hento was his favourite player, uh, not not Di Stefano. Huh. But anyhow, he, he I, I put this, uh, this this day I went in to see him at the hospital. He says, God, Dad, your, your arm's horrible. I've got to take a picture of this. I took the picture of it and it was purple and blue and horrific all the way down. The flesh was, it wasn't discoloured. It was like as if somebody had taken a spray paint of the arm. And uh, I says, you know, Dad, that looks like Barcelona's colours. It's blue and red. He says, cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> right, right to his, right to his last days, he, he still had the, uh, you know, the affinity of knowing what was right with Real Madrid and what was wrong with Barcelona. <laughs> He'd always tease us about it because he knows that I, I loved the way Barcelona played their football. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, we had a great, had a great life with me, mum and dad. And uh, I never had a holiday in all the years I've lived here, Grant. Forty years I've lived in the States, and my holiday was always going back to Newcastle and spending time with my mother and father in there. Um, in their home, and I was still the biggest, biggest, proudest moment of my life was buying my mother and father a retirement home mm. with the bit of money that I made out of the game and um, bought them a lovely little cottage in a beautiful little village called Wickham near Newcastle. And that put years on their lives. And I'm, mm. that was the greatest thing I ever did uh, in my life, in my life, because it gave them so much happiness. And it was a small token of repaying them for the for what they did with me. Just two more questions here, Ray. One, I want to arrange, I have always wanted to do this, arrange a dinner in Florida with you and Dick Vitale, the college basketball <laughs> commentator. And I think you guys would hit it off. You both live in Florida. I think he's on the Gulf Coast. You're down in South Florida. Have you ever sure. have you ever met him and are you up for this dinner? I would be up for it in an absolute New York second. Uh, Vital was the first United States commentator that I uh, probably connected with in the same way as a lot of people connect with me that aren't particularly into football. Um, I remember it distinctly, living in a place called The Lofts, and uh, I heard this voice and this 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 wonderful exuberance coming through and he didn't give a crap he wasn't one of these conditioned people who were saying the right things and trying to project it in a more controlled way he was wonderful and it's just that effervescence and that wonderful spirit of his love for the game that couldn't be contained and the humor in him as well and the great yin and yang that he had between his his partner on the commentary he made basketball so much more enjoyable and I didn't know I knew as much about basketball as I know about the theory of relativity <laughs> but I knew that this man loved the game and he made me enjoy the game huh. uh, and, and, and sit through it um, 
there's there's some wonderful people that have influenced me along the same line. Sid Waddell is a darts commentator in Newcastle, mm-hmm. um, in in England, in, in a, is a is a legend. Um, he sadly passed away. He was a Geordie. He's a Geordie man as well. He's from Newcastle, uh, but I was commentating before Sid was on the television commentating. So I was doing the same thing before Sid, but when I heard Sid do it, he was way better than me. <laughs> it, it gave me more of a lease on life and more of a lease on what I'm doing. I think, God, if he can do it to that level, I, I don't need to be as restricted as I think I, I have needed to be. And that's where it really started to take off for me. But without being patronising at all, Grant, Dick Vitale was one of those people uh, that was just, uh, it, you know, it, 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 a small part of it affecting me and how, you know, that transmission of, of, of your spirit through a microphone all the way through to a television set to somebody living in, you know, uh, North Dakota how that can affect and and and, and, and uh, have a have a nice have a nice effect on on people hopefully. Well, that settles it. We're going to have to arrange this dinner and do something for Sports uh-huh. Illustrated on it with you and Vital. I look forward to that. <laughs> Lastly, just to wrap up here, I wanted to ask you, what in your opinion has the game of soccer done for you in your life? Well, it's it's been. Um, it's been everything, Grant. Ever since I left school, I had a job in an accountant's office, which was horrific beyond belief. You talk about Dickensian, and that's what it was like. Um, it was terrible, but that's what I had to go into because the football thing wasn't working out. I'd been on trail uh, before, but nothing had happened at Sunderland, actually. But then Newcastle saw me at the same time that I was working at um at the, uh, at the accountant's office, Fennec P. Hunnam was the name of the accountant's office. You talk about it, the Keynesian wonderful name. And uh, I went to Newcastle. Uh, they assigned me on the same night as I tried out. Uh, with that in itself is a wonderful story. I'll save for another day. But that was so special. I went with Mickey, my best friend. The boat, they took us both there. And um, uh, I... That was the start of this journey for me as a player. And then through, you know, the game showed me the world. You know, I I was able to travel the world and see the world and uh, smell the world uh, as a player. And then uh, the coaching side of it was so much of a different challenge. And until you've been in in those hot seats and uh, you don't know what it's like. And I had success. I like to think of it. It was good success with the fusion. And I think I left DC United in a better state than, than what I found it. So that was a wonderful experience for four years. And then the commentary side of it has continued. Um, I've been immersed in this game. And um, it's nice, you know, when we went to Barcelona to be uh, to be put in the Barcelona Museum in forever linked with the greatest footballer that I've ever known in my life in Lionel Messi and that'll be there for eternity um, and I've been absolutely blessed beyond belief to be so lucky and to be so fortunate unquestionably to um, to have some ability whether it be in my feet um, or, or, or any elsewhere. Well, Ray Hudson, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Thank you, Grant. 
Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Ray Hudson and BN Sports, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the new 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon with a free seven-day trial now. Recent guests include Patrick Vieira, Juan Carlos Osorio, Yuri Jorkaev, Andres Cantor, Roberto Martinez, and Julie Foudy. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.